0: Welcome to The Moulding Health Show. Our goal is to leverage the wisdom and experience of a healthcare practitioners to set you on a path of self-discovery and healing. These insights coupled with a multidisciplinary approach to each area of interest should provide an invaluable resource to everyone looking for a better approach to health. Please note that this episode covers a mental health issue in, in rather explicit detail. If you or someone close to you recently experienced one of these conditions, this content may evoke unaddressed pain, Our intention is to inform and empower our our audience, but this material is not a substitute for therapy. Please use your discretion with regards to accessing this or other material on the site that may be triggering or traumatic for you. And remember that the best strategy is to seek professional assistance for unresolved painful or traumatic experiences that you may have undergone. We have included a link in the show notes where you can be connected to one of these therapists. In this episode of the show, we speak to Simon Kitson about ASD and ADHD from an educational psychologist perspective. Simon Kitson, welcome to the show. So we're so glad to have you on board and talking about ASD and ADHD. I know that's some acronyms, but we'll get into it now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you
1: very well. Thank you for inviting me, Oliver. Thank you.
0: No, it's uh, it's an honor. And I think we shared a, a love of, of uh, audio stuff. You know, just before the Very show, true. I really love the the audio that's coming, you know, from from your side of the show, um, and <laughs> and uh, and just to be clear, I mean, it's from an educational psychologist perspective, which is perfect, yes. Because yes. I mean, we're going to be talking about assessments and all of that stuff. But uh, Simon, I mean, just to kick it off, can you can you break yeah. down those acronyms for us, ASD and ADHD?
1: yes i can i mean they're banded about and people think they know what they are um or asd autism spectrum disorder um uh i mean i think there's a move to try and call it asc which would be autism spectrum condition and when i worked somewhere else i uh, i made a move to get everyone else to use the term asc because if you put disorder in it makes people think about it in a different sort of way uh I mean, I can tell you what um, the sort of the I can give you a sort of structure of what um, ASD is or ASC. Um, it's not an illness. Um, it's a sort of people are born with a difference. Um, you can have a wide range of intellectual um, abilities with it. I think some people think it's more um, akin to something like Rain Man, where you've got no skills or you've got one particular skill uh, and and nothing else. Um, and there are strengths as well as difficulties. It's not all about the difficulty side. Um, um, individuals with ASE can make friends. Um, that's a kind of, you know, they, they may have different relationships. They may have difficulties, but it's there. Um, not Not all individuals with autism are the same uh there's so many factors you might uh, i work with teachers and they say well this child can't be autistic because the last child that i worked with was completely different and i said well you've got a room full of 30 children they're all different there's no hmm. reason why that should be the case um there's no identified cause yet for um autistic spectrum uh, condition or disorder um it although it does cluster in families Um, so you know you're more likely to have a sibling with autism or a parent Um, and the the general shape of it is that there are communication difficulties empathy difficulties um, sensory difficulties and the need for sameness and um, sort of organization and routine Mm -hmm. so that's a that's a sort of that's a very broad rushed thumbnail of an autistic spectrum condition or an autistic spectrum disorder. So ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, uh, It's it's one of many uh, neurodevelopmental um, differences Um, and neurodevelopmental is sort of pertaining to the development of neurological pathways. So that that's where we get that term from um the cause of it again is unknown um uh although it might associate with there's sort of slight evidence that it does associate with prematurity so children who are premature um um there might also be a relationship with smoking so obviously if the parent smokes during pregnancy that might be another one or um drug and alcohol has been um uh, suggested to have a cause so children who've had that there's there's no there's no kind of cure for it uh but it can be managed with strategies um and um and just general understanding of the condition and uh in some cases medication but they don't really even understand how the medication works it's done on an empirical basis where if people think you've got adhd you're given the medication if it works then yes that's that it works if it doesn't work yeah um if the same again new um the uh the um there's no sort of uh, intellectual ability associated with it so if you've got adhd it doesn't mean that you've you know you've not you're, you're not very um intellectually able um and it there's there are If you break down ADHD, you get the attention deficit side, which is inattention, and then you get the HD side, which is the hyperactivity disorder. And that associates with um, impulsivity and um, activity beyond an individual's um, conscious control. Um, So, yeah. That, that that's I hope that's a useful summary mm,
0: no no that that is perfect actually yeah. um yeah. and and um you know it's when you speak I spoke about the uh, you know babies being premature uh, I would be interested to see and it'll, it'll be interesting if this is in research but whether there's a, because because twins are always, or, or more than one baby, you know, triplets or whatever, yeah, yeah. Are, are always born premature, to my knowledge, yeah. it's, uh, slightly. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Is there a correlation there then, you know, in terms of the...
1: Um, oh, I, 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 I mean, you're right. It will be interesting. I don't have any hard and fast um, mm. facts. I mean, I have I have worked with families where one twin was born um kind of uh you know there was a difference between the twins because potentially one twin can uh take more of the uh of the sort of i'm just trying to think of how to phrase it um that that one twin does better in utero than mm. the other and so that can be a cause mm. do you see what i mean so yeah you know yeah it, I do, one I do. one child develops because mm that's that that's the way it, you know that's the way that this worked
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I have heard of that um well no, not in terms of the adhd correlation but more just in terms of that's how the twins you
1: know general get, development they are general, general
0: yeah, yeah. development yeah. um yeah interesting though i mean uh, and and i think to to anyone you know with children with this or anyone that has it i mean it's obviously it doesn't cost much light in terms of how do you avoid it you know for your own children and stuff like that but it does yeah uh you know hopefully what we get out of the show is like how do you manage it and firstly what is it because i think there is that because even with adhd i think people have this picture in their mind where it's like you know an uncontrolled child and so that speaks more to the hyperactivity part yeah and not really the inattentive part you know
1: yeah i mean even with the even with the hyperactivity and impulsivity some children can kind of hold it in uh, and it just gives them a different presentation. And also what you have to factor in is that there's a difference between girls and boys. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of research going on at the moment between girls and boys in both ADHD and ASD, looking at why there's a higher di- diagnosis of boys over girls. Um, I used to work for a neurodevelopmental clinic for like 15, 20 years, um, and we were, we, uh, we were always remarking, wow, you know, why are there so many more boys? And actually, it's it's probably fundamental to the education system that uh, if a young person isn't causing a, a huge kind of distraction in the classroom, they're less likely to be noticed. So that's potentially what it is. And, you know, in ASD, girls may be trying to figure out social stuff and that could be their special interest. And so... They look like they're just being sociable, but they're just a bit sort of quirky. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's actually interesting. Uh, and it's not the scope of the show, but uh, I, I did I was following some uh, some uh, some stuff around Aspergers, and that's exactly Yet. what they said, you know, around yeah. girls, you know, which is more yeah, yeah. on the ASD part, you know. And there was a, yeah. there was a clinic or an institute in Australia, and I was on their website, I think last year, and you know, like that's exactly what they said. It's actually, you know, girls aren't, you know, like probably have it more but it just goes undiagnosed you know yeah i did
1: better i mean in actual just as a just as a little point of whatever um the asperger's term isn't used anymore ah really that's yeah it's been it's been subsumed and so like the dsm-5 which is where all of the clinical diagnostic symptom lists come from they've sort of they've got rid of the they've restructured the whole kind of um uh condition and they've removed the term asperger syndrome but it is a useful term still because mm-hmm. it helps it's taken so long to get into the public consciousness that they've just removed it and people go people still use it because they understand what it means mm. um there's there's a little backstory about why they no longer use it but that's not necessary for the show i'm not going to go into that but,
0: well you yeah. can't just say that and leave it <laughs> uh, I
1: because I, it my... to, so uh, hans asperger was he was he described a condition which was different to canner's asperger canna's uh, autism so there were two people working in different i think they were both in germany one moved to america and his work got um because he was in america it got sort of more um publication and Hans Asperger wasn't translated until the seventies because he was working in Austria. But then they've they've looked into his background and he did some very questionable work. That's the bit I won't go into. And okay. I think they, they want to disassociate themselves from, from that aspect. I think that's uh-huh. the point. So, okay. so is yeah. it fair to
0: say then? So when we when we hear the term Asperger's, it's just ASD, is it? That-
1: yeah. I mean, it's ASD, and they want to sort of move away from the kind of intellectual side. ASD because what so, yeah. they don't want, yeah, ASD. They don't want to. They don't want people to kind of focus on uh, a, a kind of stereotype of what people think it is, because there are there are too many dimensions to it. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a triangle which describes the condition itself, but uh, which is social interaction uh social communication and kind of rigidity that's one aspect of a triangle and if you overlay another triangle over the top that would be intellectual ability um personality and environmental impact Mm -hmm. so it becomes much more complicated it's not just a three sort of point star it's a six point star and a lot of that is sort of people's experiences and individual differences
0: okay brilliant I mean uh, I love that. I mean you mentioned Rain Man and uh, uh you know it's always nice. We ha- actually was speaking to a psychotherapist yesterday and you know she she was saying with her patients she um uh, she, you know, she always says you know find a character that you associate with and you know in terms of life. And it makes, a lot, it makes it a lot more real for them, you know. And I thought that's a really cool way to do this. Um, well, you know, to think about things. And, and you know, so for me, movies are, uh, you know, always remember them. And so if Rain Man is not a good way to explain it, um, I, I'm not sure if you watched the, the the Big Bang Theory series.
1: Oh, yes, yes, So, yes, so would yes, Sheldon
0: be a good way to explain? Uh,
1: uh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I would say all of the characters with the exception of Penny. Okay, yeah. Because okay, they're all. I mean, they are all a bit quirky, aren't they?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you, you know what I loved about that series? You know, which Rainman didn't. You know, cover. I mean, it was a brilliant movie at that time. But what the Big Bang Theory covered for me was the fact that I mean, they were all quirky, like you said, but they were able to build some really strong relationships. You know, around yeah. them. You know, like friends. Yeah. You know, like yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. spouses, you know, and stuff yeah. together. And I thought that was, and and other people, they were able to interact in the world with other people, although yeah, other yeah, people yeah. may have thought that they're weird. And I thought that gives a lot of hope. You know, like for anyone yeah. looking at it. I that mean,
1: that in my original bit about describing ASC ASD, I was saying that there's the thought that people people make them miss. There's a misapprehension that people say, "Oh, can't make friends." that's not true you find your tribe don't you that's Mm -hmm. the thing you find your tribe and you fit in and i know loads of groups of young people that are all really quirky and i would probably say yeah there's one or two of them that are probably on the spectrum somewhere um and they're perfectly happy and they have a sort of great life and some of them are particularly successful in a sort of they're all very scientific and numerate and uh yeah i i can think of lots of groups of young people that i know just through you know through sort of family stuff so yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I think uh
1: that's that's a really good way of explaining it as well because i, I think yeah, and it's you, it's reassuring for parents to know mm. that a child who may find not find themselves like in primary school with a big friendship group may go to secondary school and then discover their own tribe and then be sort of successful in whatever area they choose because that's they've got there are you know that individuals with ASC may have more ability to focus on a sort of a goal and actually they achieve more you know Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i think it becomes a little bit more of a like a philosophical discussion but you know like i think you know we put so much of spotlight on on children and you know and identifying it but it's almost like when you become an adult you know it's like you know some of the rules are relaxed a little bit you know and and people find their own way and you know, and the whole discussion of around, you know, like how many friends are enough? You, know, you don't have to be the most popular kid in the in the group, you know, and exactly. you know, and what is success, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um yeah, but I, I love this. And uh, I mean the other question, and that's why we group them together, is is yeah. some I mean, is there a correlation between ASC and ADHD?
1: Uh yeah, I mean they're described as comorbid conditions, which is just a like they occur together. Um, so yes, there is a, there's a, I mean, there's a relationship, there's pr- uh, maybe best described as an association. Um, if, you know, if you have one, you're more likely to have another. And there are other conditions that also would be described as comorbid with ASD and a, um, ASC and ADHD. So like dyslexia, anxiety, um, depression, and, um, Uh, epilepsy can also be comorbid with it as well okay cool yeah i mean Um, the thing is they don't they don't understand they have there isn't a great understanding of all of the conditions in mm. terms of their uh, etiology you know their origin but they do know that there is a likelihood so if you've got one particular condition you may have aspects of others as well or Mm. you know so
0: yeah yeah it always reminds me of you know with the medication you know you get that's that's big finely printed you know like instruction sheet with it and uh, you know it almost like has everything you know it's always like yes it could be related to that and that yes yes, yeah Uh, yeah 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 uh, but yeah i think you know the the you know what's interesting and what's great about even doing this type of episode is that it just creates awareness so that you know where to start looking if you want it and yeah and that i'm sure will open up a whole new world yeah you know for anyone
1: I mean, that's been part of my role in previous kind of incarnations that I've been uh doing like awareness for schools uh and training teachers uh and going into schools and talking to young people about it, uh and doing parent courses for recently for parents of recently diagnosed children and et cetera, et cetera. Just doing, you know, just raising awareness. Um so. It, and it's it, it feels that it's in the public consciousness yeah. um you know it uh, first it felt like AD, adhd was the first one to really arrive mm. and that felt like it came over from america and then asd sort of caught up uh and equally is um sort of understood um I mean, people use it as a flippant term now. I think that is the thing we we should try and get away from. But it's difficult, isn't it? Once people and once people have a a concept, they they use it sort of too loosely, don't they?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you. I'm sure you. You, if you could, you know, cast your eyes. You're probably talking to the teenagers right now,
1: right? Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 they, yeah they, they're yeah, very yeah, good
0: at at picking. Yeah. My daughter is they like. Go, they will go. Yeah.
1: They go. Oh, he's a bit ADHD. Or, yeah. Oh, he's a bit ADHD. So mm. that's a double-edged thing, isn't it? One, it, if you are if you have a condition like that, you may not like it being used, banded around. But also, it is it it shows that it's in the public consciousness and people are thinking about it. And you know, so there's it's a double-edged, isn't it? So. Mm.
0: And and I was thinking, you know, you could almost abuse it, you know, in terms of, you know, saying actually, you know, like you know, almost like use it to your advantage in a way. Um, yeah, you know, and. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah.
1: I I mean, there is a thing where people say, oh, you know, some young people go, well, uh, you know, what do you expect from me? I've got ADHD or what do you expect? You know, they they excuse their I mean, it's not it's not a frequent thing, but, you know, that's what people are worried about. Schools are worried about that. And parents are worried about that. And they worry, what do I excuse? Because I need to make a reasonable adjustment for managing their behavior. What do I excuse? And then what is just bad behaviour in them sort, of, you know? So that's mm. a minefield for some people to manage.
0: Mm. Uh, I must, uh, yeah, uh, I must say, I mean, the the UK seems to be a lot more um, accommodating, if not aware of, like, and I'm going to use the term learning difficulties, uh, yeah. you know, from a schooling and a conscious awareness point of view. And if we yeah. compare that. You know, to South Africa, I think there was still a lot of work to be done about, you know, like introducing the concept and, you know, like introducing it yeah. and, you know, sort of people are aware of it. But our, our, yeah. our I
1: suppose ex- that the, the, the fundamental bit of that is whether or not you have the sort of health services to pick all of that stuff up. Hmm. so if nobody's going if, if you've got a like a deficit of educational psychologists or health professionals, i don't know what the setup is but i'm just speculating if there's a deficit then obviously that's not going to really be picked up sufficiently and then so then the impact isn't going to be there for managing it does that yeah. make sense
0: yeah yeah that is absolutely spot on that's exactly <laughs> that's awesome. it um and i and i'm just I was just speaking to your point about you know the advocacy part you know where you were saying you spent a lot of time with you know with youngsters and with schools because i think if you know about it then you can probably spot it and then you know where to look for you know yeah. look for help But uh, Mm -hmm. I found our experience was like people knew about stuff already. And they, I mean, like, you know, if I look at, we're going to come into assessments and and symptoms and stuff like that just now. But, uh, you know, the whole sense team, you know, at schools is like incredible. You know, the fact that they can pick stuff up, you know, a lot more sooner and run a parallel stream, you know, to the mainstream kind of setting.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah
0: um so before we go into symptoms and assessments and and all of that great stuff but can you tell us what an educational
1: psychologist does yes i mean i i hope that i would be able to i mean that would be a terrible <laughs> thing if after all these years i was not able to um so uh so educational psychologists are trained psychologists that's quite important well that's very important so you've probably done a you've done a uh, uh an undergraduate degree in psychology and then a, uh and then a postgraduate um qualification uh you have to be registered you have to be a registered uh health professional and in the uk that is um supported by the uh, oh, i always get the initials the wrong the, the initials are wrong around h healthcare professional council hp hcpc mm. or a variation of that i can never quite remember um uh, and the, specializing in child development as a that's your basis and uh the major role is helping children and young people experience who are experiencing problems that can impact on their ability to learn so that's we look at blocks and barriers to learning and that can be uh learning difficulties social and emotional problems dis- um something to do with a disability so like hearing impairment visual impairment um and uh the- complex disorders so there's a range of things that we would um, get involved in and the work the work the type of work that we would do uh information gathering um uh, observation in a setting uh, sometimes that's more necessary than others it's not always necessary to do like a a detailed observation because one day can be very much like the next or one day can be unique and you're not seeing the same sort of thing um we might do interviews i mean discussions i mean interview sounds a bit formal but in effect you know it's an exchange of views i suppose that's the the definition Uh, and then we would do um assessments and then consultations and then advice for teachers parents schools uh local authorities children themselves so it's uh you know we might do individual research projects or we might do specialist work for instance myself i've done you know i've been working in, in this field for for years and i've been involved in Uh, the type of activities that's not typically engaged in by an educational psychologist, which is the, you know, being part of a diagnostic team. So in the past I've been, uh, for a long time, I was involved in diagnosing children with autism, ADHD. And just before I left my last local authority, I was asked to set up a, a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder fetal alcohol spectrum disorder FASD um clinic but I I I just left before it was set up but um that would have been working with a um a a consultant paediatrician and I was asked to set that whole thing up but um you know it wasn't the right time I'd wanted to do what I'm doing now so Mm
0: -hmm. okay that is amazing um and and I think, Simon. So. Mean, I just want to be clear as well. So, educational psychologists can work with adults as well, though, right? I mean, I, I think predominantly uh, it's with children. Yeah, I mean, you um,
1: can do. I mean, we work from sort of naught to twenty-five. Okay. Um, yeah. You, I mean, we have the skills, etc., to be able to work with adults, and I've worked with adults in the past in a previous life um even though that was part of an educational cycle i was working with a college and there were adults in there so i was doing that i think i worked i think i was like in my mid to late 30s and i was working with somebody who was 45 okay and at the time that felt very very strange because i'd just been used to working with children but it's Mm. exactly the same process um i kind of realized and at that point i picked up something that had been missed and this young, this, I was going to say young person, but he was actually older than me. This mm-hmm. this adult had been, I don't know, misplaced um, in a particular setting because they didn't pick up a need that this person had. So. Interesting, interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just want to mention that because that wasn't in my social consciousness, you know, until a few years ago that, yeah. you know, an educational psychologist can help, you know, an adult. And, you know, we yeah, had a- yeah we had an educational psychologist on that specialized just in adults and i thought yeah. that's, that's pretty interesting
1: yeah. and uh, i mean it makes kind of i mean uh, in the uk potentially lots of people will have been picked up by that point so hmm. um yeah i mean as an as a uh, if you joined a university or college as an older ad you know as an adult learner they may say oh well you know you've you know you might have a particular difficulty it's possibly most likely to be something like picking up dyslexia Mm. or um you know working memory difficulties or attention difficulties which may lead to yeah or something but it, it it's it's going to be a more subtle difficulty because the more obvious ones are picked up when people are younger Okay, so, yeah. yeah, that kind of makes sense, yeah, it? and
0: that is fair um and and also encouraging you know the fact that you can pick it up sooner and you know work with it because obviously it builds for yeah. well for later yeah. life
1: that that's not to say that everything's picked up. There are lots of things that are missed because of the 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 pressure on the demand on services. Mm. so oftentimes the kids who are throwing chairs around. Are the ones that get they, that get picked up, and the ones who sit quietly in the corner, they're not a problem for staff. And I'm not that, that's not a criticism. It's just a it's a functional description of the way that things happen.
0: Yeah, okay. and it's,
1: the...
0: yeah. I mean, I think it's about being human as well. <laughs> you know, we yeah. concentrate on the ones that like it, it's the raging yeah. fire. You know, like put the yeah, fire yeah, out yeah, first. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, which is good. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's how we survive. Well, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um symptoms of ASD oh. and ADHD. Uh, I
1: mean um so symptoms of a so in um in younger well it these are the sort of extreme symptoms. Okay, so if you I'm giving the extreme symptoms and then they're they're sort of part of a spectrum, so they may be more or less in individuals who so if you think of a spectrum where You know, at one end, all of the symptoms are extreme and at the other end, they're very subtle. So, for example, poor eye contact. um, um, When working with um, lots of young children, they won't respond to their own name. So you would call their name and they just don't respond. And that's not them being uh, difficult. That's them just not responding to their name the reciprocal smiling thing smile reciprocal smiling is a very natural kind of developmental kind of thing if you look at babies that are just born um they i've seen videos of a sort of, uh, of babies a few hours old and they do reciprocal smiling but um but uh, children with ASD don't really um there are often things like repetitive movement. So you might have a stylized repetitive movement uh, like um, finger flicking, um, looking out the corner of your eyes. There's lots of really. Ca- when you've been working in the field a long time, you would look at characteristic behaviors of a young person. And go, Oh, that looks very similar to um, a- an unusual gait, you know, like oh, funny strange walking um sometimes children are extra flexible they might have hypermobility of joints um there's an association between asc and ella's danlos syndrome which is a connective tissue disorder or i don't know connective tissue condition maybe i don't know i'm trying to be sensitive you know Mm. not not, knowing the right terms um there's a lack of novel pretend play you might see pretend play but there's a lack of novel pretend play um so they might you lots of times someone go i go in and do an observation or in the past gone in and done an observation and i've they've i've said to them do they do pretend play and they go yeah and then i say well can i just what i'm what am i seeing and they go oh well they always do this 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 and this and i'm saying that's not novel pretend play that is that is a sort of rehearsed pretend play um sensory issues so that can be um olfactory smell so i'll do it in a normal words um smell sound taste touch uh visual and hearing and also one that's less well known is interreception so that is the ability to know what the inside of your body is doing so you know that can be you know not really not realizing when you're hungry or hurt or full or you know not responding to being too hot or too cold or when you need to go to the toilet because that's an interoceptive response mm. Um so lots of kids with or a with a ASC may have um, impacted bowels and things like that as part of a wider uh, spectrum of difficulties Um, they might talk less or try and communicate less. Um, and they can often have, um, individuals can often have repetitive phrases that don't make sense in contact in context. And they can also, um, do echolalia, which is repeating the last thing that somebody said. So that can be a problem in class. So you're sitting there and the teacher's talking about something, uh, and then, um, uh, a kid with ASC might repeat the last thing the teacher said, and that can be really annoying for teachers, obviously, because it, if they don't know what it is, it sounds like someone's being rude, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, so, that's true. Uh, or else you might get, so that's immediate echolalia, and you might get delayed echolalia, which is repeating sentences out of context Don't make any sense, but they're like something off the telly, you know, or they might Mm. be repeating. So if they like a particular tea, like Thomas the Tank Engine is a big one for children um, and they might repeat bits off Thomas the Tank Engine. So, yeah, that those are the sort of that that, those would be the identifying things. Um, It's kind of it's it's social interaction is a difficulty uh so the ability to kind of interact social communication so the ability to communicate socially and the need for um kind of routine and predictability and uh you know those kind of when you when you're not sure what's going on in the world you want everything to be the same so. mm. um adhd um so you get the uh um i'm just trying to think because there's some f- so I'm just trying to think where to introduce one aspect of it. I'll just do it the other way around. So there's the inattention side so individuals may not be able to focus for more than a few minutes um or they can they they're in it their their attention sort of drifts in and out. Um, they may um, uh, have um, uh, you know uh, uh, they may they, like in class it may present as a child always shouting out, um, giving the answers to everything, um, being too sort of, uh, not aggressive, but being too sort of wanting to interact with their peers to the point where it puts their peers off, um, may want to get out of their seat the whole time, may need to move around. Um, um. And shortly, I'll come on to an assessment that I use that looks at that those particular sets of features. But it really, for, for ADHD, um, it can be just as subtle, but the it's broken down into the attention side, the hyperactivity, and the impulsivity side. So, um, yeah, that that's a sort of more of a thumbnail kind of um, sketch for of that, really. Yeah. Okay. And and auditory
0: processing. So, do they do they struggle with that? I mean, the, the, thinking...
1: That that's I think that associates more with autistic spectrum conditions. Huh. Okay. auditory processing disorder uh sensory processing disorder all those kind of issues uh relate to that that that's more the work whilst it's useful for for an educational psychologist to know that's more the work of an occupational therapist speech and language therapist nice. so there are people who would specifically assess that in and they've got their own tools that they use to kind of use that i I mean i'm i'm just as interested in that there there are so many assessment tools that i would like to use when i see a young person Mm. but i tend to see a child for sort of six hours straight um, and I, I don't have any more time to introduce any more assessments, <laughs> and even though I see things and I'm really interested in everything that mm. I'd like to incorporate. Everything and people say, Oh, can you look at this? And, well, I could do, but I'm gonna have to spend three days seeing this young mm. person, so uh, yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. like to get as much information as possible, but I also like to be. You know, I like to be able to say this is how long it's going to take, and and it, otherwise I'd be, you know, I'd be a permanent fixture in the house.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, while we're talking about symptoms, I mean, do you find any like correlation between like devices? I mean, I, I know everyone struggles with devices, but do you find? Oh, you, I see
1: what you mean. Like tablets, you know,
0: computers, you know, yeah, tablets. Um, I would even I mean, like go on the board of video games. Be,
1: yeah, it, there's a difficulty there because lots of young people, it, they're very. They're very, I mean, some people would describe them as addictive because mm, they're yeah. be, they're designed to reinforce and reward people's playing, aren't they? Mm. So their engagement. So it's kind of almost like I was chatting to a young person yesterday who's doing psychology A-level, and her first assignment is to do um, uh, Pavlovian psychology. And I was saying, oh, yeah, you know, the dog, and you're yeah. having a little chat and a little laugh about that. Um, But it's kind of reinforcement on that basis. You get, you know, and they're talking about the serotonin reward system and all of that kind of stuff. It's very difficult to unpick between the two, Mm. whether it's a typically developed child who is getting a lot of a huge amount of reward from from a, a device, you know, where the games are. Uh, reward you consistently and make you want to play and play and play, mm. uh, and then a child who plays it because they've got an autistic spectrum condition. So I think mm. jury's still out on that one. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that lots of children that I work with do have a fascination with with the games, mm. um, but then so may lots of other children. I I only see the ones that that have got the most extreme conditions. So I, I, in a way, I'm kind of like I haven't got, I've not got a a, a a sort of a wide enough sample size to make a comment really. But lots of people do say it. But then, you know, that's What's, why they're designed that. Right
0: yeah, yeah, I know. I think that was kind of a loaded question. But again, going back to Big Bang Theory, I think that's the one commonality that they all shared, You know, was yeah. uh, the love of video games and uh, yeah. playing them together and and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, and assessments, Simon. So, um, so oh, assuming, assessments. Yeah. yeah. So.
1: Um, so for for uh, so looking at assessments, you would you take for for a for autistic autistic spectrum condition, you would sort of obviously take a developmental history so that's early development and it's like the age at which a child first talked um you know and then all of the types of things that I described you know eye contact uh, repetitive movements uh um obviously you you would try and look at everything and match it against the DSM-5 criteria so that's the same for you know, you would you would match if it was an ASC, you'd match it against that one in the DSM five. If it's ADHD, you match it against that one in the DSM five. Um, and then if you're gonna do more specific um uh assessments, there's something called the um, ADOS, which is the autism diagnostic observation schedule. Of course it's gonna have a long acronym, isn't it? And a very <laughs> complicated name. Mm. I mean you know those assessments wouldn't be anything without the really complicated outcomes. Yeah,
0: exactly. Just um, so everyone else can't understand it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, this is ours. This is a, um, uh, and that is a very sort of uh, it's a long process. I'm ADOS trained and I've used it to assess. I don't use it at the moment because it. Again, it was like what I was saying earlier. If I added that to my assessment schedule, then I would definitely be there the next day. You know, mm-hmm. So it's, it's very long. I do do it, um, but I find the process that I have is just as um, useful in gaining relevant information. There's also something called the ADI, which is, um, I mean, these are a bit more medically, to be fair. There aren't very many educational psychologists who would do an ADOS. I can't think of any educational psychologists who would do an ADI because that's a computer-based. Um, uh, well, it can be computer-based, but it's an interview schedule for sort of parents. And there's also something called the GARS, which is the Gill- Gilliam Autism. GARS. I can't remember what the R stands for. I don't know. See, they they um, but it's a, it's another sort of schedule of um, sort of identifying features, and then th- th- those are useful. So it would be. You would use some form of sort of assessment, a recognised, standardised assessment. You would also then do an interview. You would also work with a young person, get a range of information. You'd need to know what their cognitive ability was. You'd need to know what their literacy skills were and a range of other stuff. And then you would use a, a standardised assessment. And then, um, you know, lots. you'd gather lots of information from multiple sources Um, So that that would be for that. And for for ADHD, again, you would you can use standardized kind of interviews for parents and teachers. And then you would use something called the QB check, which is a computerized assessment, which looks and it's standardized and it looks at levels of activity, levels of inattention and levels of impulsivity. Uh, You could also use the TEACH, which is the test of everyday attention in children. Uh, And that's just another form of assessment. And I believe there are other assessments that people use. The paediatricians and psychiatrists tend to use the Conners, uh, but that's just like one very narrow thread. Uh, And from a personal point of view, I don't feel that gives you enough information uh, because people are very... Uh, aware of what the symptoms of adhd are and may just go yes 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 mm. yes so that's why i think a standardized assessment is so much better because you're actually getting what the child can do mm. um so yeah so that that's a you know that's a very that's a very rushed description of um assessments for adhd and asc so uh but you know it's a nutshell provision you know so
0: okay um I'm, I'm really glad we covered that because i think it breaks down you know the you know the terminology and again if this comes up in any discussion at least yeah. you know where to kind of put it yeah. but let's yeah. make it a little bit more tangible right so so a child goes into year one and you know obviously then the same team picks up actually there's something not quite right or the teacher picks up and you know like then it follows a certain route. Can you paint yeah. that picture for us? How how would that yeah. how would that look like?
1: Right. So basically um, it would be uh um obviously there'd be sort of concerns, then then the Senko would probably, you know, um um be involved and do something like an observation. The teacher would make their sort of points known, they might have a meeting with parents. Uh I mean, it, uh, tangential to, or parallel to that, the parents may also have had concerns from a while for a while, uh, and um, then um, that they would. You'd hope that some interventions would be put in place. Uh, they may take some advice from a speech and language therapist or um, a behavior advisor within the school system. Uh, they might get the the educational psychologist involved. The, the issue being there is there's such a long waiting list and such a load of priorities that that may take that might take ages to 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 become involved and then so parents may try and go through the medical route um because obviously ASD ASC and um ADHD is a medical diagnosis um i just do a sort of uh, a, a very detailed report and my conclusion is these people show the symptoms of this and i describe how it meets it and people accept that but that's not a diagnosis they will accept my findings but then it needs to go to a pediatrician who would look at that and just agree with you know i mean that was my role previously that's what i've done in Mm -hmm. the past um so um it's really about information gathering uh and then accessing the right professionals to to kind of become involved um you then have to put in place interventions um that would typically be used to sort of manage particular conditions or behaviors. And if those aren't successful, then you move on to something, uh, something more um, sort of maybe medical or, or, um, uh, or educational, but it's a very long process. You know, the time from somebody thinking that there's an issue to the time where they get a diagnosis, unless, unless it's very, very, obvious it, it's a long time it's a long time you know it can be four years i've worked with people who've been trying to get get sort of a, an understanding of what's going on and it might be six years or five years wow. or even if you get even if you even if it's quite quick uh, at the beginning it may then take two years in order to then get on a waiting list to see a pediatrician and then the pediatrician would have to ask, are they like a speech and language therapist to see? And then they said, so there's, there's lots of things. They're not like, they're not hoops to be jumped in order to delay the process. It just reflects the pressure on services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, I did have one immediate question, which was, why is the diagnosis so important?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it, Um, it helps people understand it's like a thumbnail sketch people have an understanding of what it is and it's Mm -hmm. like saying uh you know in the past people said i'm not after a diagnosis and then people have reframed it and gone well actually a diagnosis is useful because it helps everybody understand that this child has a set of differences that we need to support it explains their behavior because a lot of asc or adhd behavior can look challenging and parents want a reason to be able to say well my child's not being i'm going to use the word naughty we mm. don't like that word but mm-hmm. um uh they, they can say well, my child's not being naughty they've got adhd or they've got asd and it helps people understand that um it helps them access well doesn't it actually help them access resources because even with a label of asd or a- asc or adhd it doesn't immediately confer resources what it does do is flag up an issue and um, in the UK that it's about the level of need that you've got so you might have two children with a le- with a diagnosis of ASC or ADHD um one of them wouldn't get a statement that's what it used to be called an EHCP an education Health care plan mm. uh, one of them might not get it because their needs aren't great enough even though they've got autism. They may be able to cope, they may have a few difficulties, and they may be able to manage. Um, Other children may have more significant needs, and that's what it's based on, so it's their level of need. But the terms are useful to help people understand, you know, uh, what might be underlying some either minor or major behavioural differences so okay. yeah it, actually... they're, they're not always difficulties they may just be differences so that yeah. that's the thing you know and they want to excuse not excuse they want to explain that's the thing it's not about excusing it's about explaining differences or difficulties so
0: okay that's good what i was trying to understand as well is in the schooling system you know if you did have the diagnosis you know what happens then you know the, yeah. does it mean that the teachers um you know like obviously have to like cater for that child differently and i think we are talking about the uk system so even senco senco yeah. is like a you know special needs kind of committee yeah,
1: yeah. you know that
0: yeah, yeah coordinators you know that's run in parallel to the you know the main educators yeah. um and you know they obviously advise on on this stuff and work with the educators or the teachers yeah. um, but you yeah, are coming back to the question I mean, so so with the teachers then based on the diagnosis know how to work with the child differently
1: um hmm, hmm. Mm. well um i would say that there's a slight understanding i think people like to think that they would know what to do um but um as far as i'm aware when yeah. people have initial either in either in the three year or it, i don't know how many i can't remember how many years a teacher it would be three or four years for a teacher to be trained or mm. you can have a degree and then do a postgraduate certificate in education and then become a teacher after that Mm. there there's uh, my understanding from having done it but that was what a long time ago is that there is very little actual input for the SEN side um so my advice is always when I'm doing advice for a child who has either got a diagnosis or has um uh, a collection of difficulties that look like um, it is that the teacher needs to get training for that. And that's why I've been involved in teacher training for ADHD, um, ASC, um, behavior difficulties, dyslexia, dyspraxia, like the whole gamut of things. So they basically, what I'm saying is if a child in your class has, the, or in a teacher's class has those difficulties, then they are likely to need additional input um, mm. as a teacher. Okay. So, I mean, when you think they've got 30 children in the class and lots of them may all have different different needs and different sets of difficulties, uh, then it is kind of different. And whilst it's likely that there are a few children in the school who've got ADHD or ASD, ASC, and it's pr- probably surprisingly higher than people would estimate, um, uh, there people don't have like, Uh, that population in their class all the time so they may have even I've worked with teachers say oh well I yes I had a child with ASC in my class seven years ago and they're Mm -hmm. saying well okay that's seven years ago but uh, you know uh, you still need to sort of look at what's going on and try and manage the curriculum differently try and manage the environment differently and, and you just need a refresher it's you know Mm-hmm. And I think people don't like to feel, you know, people don't like to feel they don't know something. I think mm-hmm. that's what it is. So they may be reluctant to accept um, sort of support and advice, If, especially if they've been teaching for a while. Mm-hmm. They may go, well, you know, I know about all of this, but they may not know about it. And it's just, you know, helping them to, to have some ideas. So I provide a lot in my reports. I provide lots of ideas, references to support. Um, Uh, resources you know there's loads of different places that you can access information that's really useful okay
0: yeah, yeah. I, th- I think what I was trying to understand especially in the UK system is is um because I mean teachers do a phenomenal job but this oh, yeah, child you know, you know with 30 children but this yeah. child is sitting in the classroom and obviously he has a learning difficulty or you know he's on the spectrum or he has the diagnosis you know like I think yeah. you know what happens in that setting you know is he expected to keep pace because I know obviously uh, you know in the UK system there's other schools you know that cater for maybe children. Oh, a specialist setting yeah. yeah you know like you oh. know much I more mean, specialist city.
1: basically if you think about it as a spectrum you know if you think about some children maybe like here i'm trying mm. to see it, is it I'm, i'll just describe it i can't do it in my hands okay um, um so some people might be at the the milder end let's say mm. um uh and so they would need a limited amount of sport support they might need uh, just a little bit of understanding no interventions but they might just need The curriculum managed a little bit more, a a bit differently for them. Uh, And, you know, uh, if you you went into a classroom, you may not even be able to spot that that child has any difficulties. Mm. And then you move to, you know, to sort of the midpoint where a child might need ear defenders for sensory stuff. Um, They may have um, uh, like a teach station set up, which is, uh, you know, a way that they have systematized working for them. Uh, They may have an adult working with them. They may be withdrawn for certain sessions. They may be excused certain sessions. Um, The curriculum materials may be more specialist for them or more differentiated. Uh, And then you would move to the more extreme ends where um, there are too many children in the class for a young person. They've got repetitive behavior that they can't manage within a mainstream setting. Uh, their anxiety level may be so great that they uh they become extremely distressed so obviously there may be a a, a place for that young person in a specialist setting so okay. th- that's the i mean that's a a kind of uh a lay description of you know three s- kind of case studies as you would mm-hmm. you know uh, three case studies mild Sort of in the middle and then extreme, and where they would sit, you know, mild and uh, mild and the middle would be catered for in the mainstream setting, and the extreme would clearly, uh, uh, in uh, well exceptional cases aside that would probably be a specialist setting so
0: okay cool I, I like that i liked how, how you kind of you yeah. know, gave those I mean, well it ranges. is a spectrum
1: it mm. is a spectrum and there's mm. there's so many other factors that would be on the on the spectrum line there's kind of like how intellectual and how intellectually able somebody is their level of sensory need mm. um you know if they have repetitive behavior i, I could go on yeah mm. and i probably will <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so, and and then, I mean, like, I think the other thing I want to see is, um, so, so for instance, so, so this person, just say it's mild, right, and they yeah. go through all the way through the, you know, through the schooling system, year one, year two, etc., and yeah. they get up to, obviously, GCSEs, year 11. And yeah, yeah. You know, so wh- how does it look after that? Because, you know, in the perfect scenario, you know, like you pass your GCSEs, you get to O-levels, A-levels. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, In your experience, how, how does it work for, you know? Well, I think
1: the most of- important point in all of that is they're managing it primary. Primary is a small setting. They were a limited number of adults. They've got fewer pupils or peers in their class to manage. And they get to, and they've settled in, you know, they might've had a few problems at the beginning. Uh, Everyone's got used to each other, sort of year three. Oh, yeah, they're doing really well. Year year four, yes, we're managing year five. Yeah, oh, look, this is great. Year six, and then Mm. they move. It's the transition into key stage three, which is secondary school. Mm. The setting is bigger. The number of adults is more massive, and they don't know this particular child. There are far more pupils there who may not have got used to this particular child, uh, and uh, and then the child has to do far more independent learning, manage more subjects, move from place to place. So it's the transition point in year seven that is critical in that journey. Even mm. if you've managed in primary school, you're going to need support. And it's the, the, the important part there is a transition from year six to year seven and that needs to be really well managed because what happens is you know a child kind of goes into year seven and might just withdraw into themselves and then you know their learning may suffer um they may then start refusing to go to school they may get in trouble with teachers who don't know them they may be have unwanted attention from older disaffected children who um who just like you know being not very nice to other people um i'm not going to say the bullying words but Mm. um uh, so that that's that's the main point that's what needs support really and if they can manage to get past that which they will do because schools are more aware and at transition points they say we need a really good uh, transition plan there's lots of things that people can do so it's not a horror story i'm just describing Mm. what happens at that point then it should move on to um um be able to get through the the, the different points of the uh, of school uh so potentially if they've got through that bit then year you know they're going into gcse year and a level year but it would just be a continuation of what they've already managed okay uh, so yeah i mean they may struggle with the independent learning part hmm. uh in some cases but so uh children without an autistic spectrum condition can do that um if you've got poor self-organizational skills um uh, you may not you may find study skills challenging deadlines challenging all of that kind of stuff uh, uh the conceptual side of uh, of a levels may be problematic because o levels tend to be more about remembering information and a okay. levels tend to be more about conceptual stuff uh that's yeah.
0: interesting to note. And, yeah. I mean, again, I'm just trying to understand, you know, the, the schooling system as well. Uh, but yeah. so when you get to GCSEs, my understanding is that you don't really have to go into O-levels and A-levels. I mean, there's a, there's a branch from there onwards, isn't it, to into you know, uh, well, apprenticeship or something like that?
1: Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, you, I, you've you got to stay in education until you're 18. Ah, okay. So you have to do something, and it, it would depend on – it depend on what that would be i mean to be fair i tend to work more with uh, much younger children and sort of i don't and also by the time children are that kind of age i don't actually work with them anymore because okay. all of their i'm not going to say everything's been ironed out but all of the issues tend to have been picked up so um that's not really you know i would generally see an older young person when dyslexia has been missed or when somebody thinks that they may have missed a particular kind of issue like working memory or there may be some other sort of thing. So I tend not to work with young people at that point. And if I am working with them, they tend to have more of a severe learning difficulty or uh, a learning difficulty that may, may indeed preclude them from entering into that phase of education in that way. Okay. And what happens if they are precluded? Uh, they'll they'll just go into you know a sort of specialist setting potentially i'm talking about ones that are in a specialist setting and they would have a, a particular curriculum that would be set up for them and they would maybe have wow. kind of work experience and go out into the community they would have a completely different diet of education and there would be a completely different sort of response for them uh, because they they they're graded on p levels rather than the national curriculum levels okay so they may actually be made so national curriculum levels are big steps of progress okay whereas p levels are tiny weeny weeny little tiny steps of progress that you're measured across across a whole year and you may make very limited progress so that would be you know you're talking somebody who's got a considerable learning difficulty and may have other medical conditions that associate with it Uh,
0: okay cool okay then i mean you answered the question sorry i had to go down a, a little bit of a, a of a route there <laughs> but that, that i think that but i you like to share
1: yeah. everything i like yeah, to say yeah everything, yeah you
0: know. yeah, yeah, but, yeah but you answered it perfectly so cut, so
1: you just cut that bit out you know, <laughs> you know it,
0: it, so in the worst case scenario you know like yeah. again on that spectrum you know like if the child yeah. can't you know, go through the A level route. You know the main yeah. mainstream route. There's yeah. a different, you know, concurrent yeah. route or parallel yeah, yeah, yeah. route, and that's yeah. measured differently. Because I think you know, as if you're a parent of a child, you know, in the schooling system and really struggling, I think it's it's interesting to know, like, what what is the alternative? So you know, the alternative yeah. is there is a yeah. different stream which you know, like, yeah. drops the uh, you know, drops the expectation. You know, because that's the biggest thing. Is like, you know, is my child going to complete GCSEs? You know, like I can't see them finishing O levels and A levels.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a huge
0: amount of stress, not just for the child, but for everyone. Well, I mean,
1: it's like people people have an expectation, don't they? You have a child, they go to school, they do this, they do that. And then if that's not what if if what you're expecting doesn't happen, there's a kind of sense of bereavement, really, because you're kind of or oh, disappointment or or whatever. And you have to come to terms with all of that. And, uh, uh, you know, you have to be able to explain it to everybody else. And yeah, so people manage it in different ways. I, I mean, when I work with parents, you know, they are they've been after an explanation for their child's difficulty for so long that I tell them what other people might consider really bad news, and they are very pleased. And they say, "I've always thought this was the case. Thank you, thank you very much for telling me this information, which other people might consider to be bad news, but they can. This is vindication of what they've been seeing across the the whole child's kind of academic and sort of personal social career." So. Yeah.
0: thanks so much for saying that i mean i think you know for anyone listening to it i mean i think you know and you know obviously it's applicable you know this would resonate i think even if it's not applicable yeah. i think there's a certain level of yeah, like yeah, yeah. understanding yeah. You know, around us. it's about it.
1: being human it's about being yeah. human and not wanting to sort of you know make people feel about bad about anything and i mean some of the happiest parents and children that i work with are those with um children who've got uh like the more extreme um um you know individual needs and learning difficulties and you know they're very you know they've come to terms with it they're very happy you know mm-hmm. there's a really you know and they're pleased that their child is thriving within whatever setting that they're in and the care that's shown towards them, you know, is mm-hmm. sort of amazing. So yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And and I think we should
0: never ever forget, I think we covered it earlier. Is That yeah. everyone will find their own path in life, and, and I think yeah. this is the you know the esoteric or the philosophical yeah. part. But like, you know, you'd find your path, but you know, it doesn't make you less of a human or, or stuff yeah. like that. But however, it works, and I think yeah. you know, the schooling system is just set up, you know, to be this, as you said, you know, you, these gates and these assessments and, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But you know, if you don't go through that, it's not like when yeah. you end up with you know not having the a-levels that it's the end of the world kind of thing because it does feel like that sometimes i don't know how your schooling system was but
1: well i mean i've got a a friend uh, i know of people who kind of made the decision to say to their child you know you don't have to go to university you know you you can do whatever you want to do and actually you've got a-levels you know, they're good enough to get into university, but you don't need to go to university because university is not for everybody. So Mm. there's lots of people who take a different path in life, just as successful. I mean, you know, it's about, I guess there should be a happiness index, you know, that might Mm -hmm. be the thing to measure Mm. stuff on rather than about, you know, uh, station in life and financial success or whatever, you know, people can be sort of happy mm. whatever you know people in different situ- you could put two people in the same situation and one will be happy one won't be happy and mm, mm it's complex isn't it? yeah i think we're, completely we're putting separate, the world to rights yeah it's
0: so, so <laughs> a completely separate topic but you know you, right. you mentioned a really strong word earlier uh, which was bereavement and, and i think yeah. you're quite you know one of like many practitioners that have mentioned that you know like it's bereavement loss and i think yeah. you know even that we can spin off into another topic but but it's important yeah. for people to actually you know grieve the process the fact that you know that disappointment is there or that you know your child is not going to go to uni or i'm not going to go to uni as a child you know and and suffocate and i think people forget that you know because there's this expectation there's a reality and there's no like process to almost like you know to understand the loss
1: yeah 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 Yeah. i mean when i've done when um having run parents courses that's one of the, the it's like we discuss the different stages of like pre-diagnosis, post-diagnosis, and the impact. And you know, people discuss their their feelings about how they, um, you know, they bereave. They they're in a state of bereavement because their child. They haven't got the child that they thought they were going to have. Some people cope with it in different ways, and some people don't feel like that at all. But we must accept that some people do feel like that, and. Help them come to terms with it, or not, as the case may be, or also not expect them to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, and again, I think it's the awareness part. Um, yeah. But uh, I think you know it's probably a good tangent or, or point to ask the question is um, so if you ha- if you're a loved one or you you know of someone with AD, you know ASC, or ASD, yeah. or and or ADHD. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: h- how can we support that person better?
1: Basically, you would just learn more about the situation. I mean that that's the fundamental knowledge is power. You know that's the that's the kind of useful kind of maxim here is to be uh, you know read around the subject, get an understanding. Is is that is that kind of what you're talking? Mm, is that mm, kind of no, yeah. definitely. So basi- yeah. So basically, you would you the more you understand. I mean. I, this is a good example so on my the parenting course that i used to run um i would often i would offer two places and sometimes it wouldn't be the mum and dad that would come it would be the mum or the dad and like an uncle or a friend or a grandparent and that's really useful because it helps them understand what's going on as well so it was that's a really useful sort of part of the um uh, uh, uh of the Sort of understanding process so it's it's you could put you could in the uk you may want to look at the national autistic society um uh, or you know in order to get background information you may want to attend a local course if one is on offer um you if you want to learn more about the education side you might want to you might want to think about the education autism trust because they offer lots of courses and you you might even just look at one like you might look at a teaching assistant course, because that's um, I'm not going to say basic in a derogatory way. Mm. But that's it. Let's call it. It has the fundamentals of understanding and being able to support a young person. There's lots of stuff around. And. Um, uh I, I think people are sort of th- th- their intentions are good but they may be time poor so they want an instant hit of something inf- informative so mm. they, those are really good ways of accessing it so that would be the thing is understand the condition try and understand how it relates to the individual that you know and um you know uh work with what you know and um try and sort of um unweave what is a an, an individual's just general personality and what is caused by any condition that they might have mm. um and then you, you know if if it's um a family member and maybe you've got a sibling who's got a child with um with autism you, you know it, you should be more understanding and then that's one of the major things one of the parents one in the parents group it was always parents saying well the my you know the grandparents and the and the cousins and the aunts and uncles are not at all um sympathetic and they just say it's all about bad parenting mm. um, and then that, you want to disabuse the immediate family members of of that and that that's a really useful thing so uh, um yeah uh, yeah, it, it is basically getting more information.
0: So. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um and do you find when you work with uh, you know with uh, with children or patients, you know with ASD and ADHD is it yeah. is it working with other practitioners as well? I mean you as a um, s- educational psychologist, you mentioned pediatrician. Yeah.
1: Uh, I would do, I, I, just as a little point of info and um, for no other reason, I wouldn't uh, I don't have patients because I'm not part of the medical model um you know like i guess like occupational therapists clinical psychologists um speech and language therapists and pediatricians and psychiatrists have patients i would have young people that i'm working with um so what was the initial question
0: <laughs> <laughs> are there any other practitioners you know that you oh, normally um, like, um, interact um, with or collaborate with yeah
1: people? so basically uh where i am as an independent psychologist i don't tend to work with people directly An educational psychologist, however, well, I am still an educational psychologist, Mm. but not part of a local authority. Um, They would work with all the people that I mentioned. They would work with occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, um, uh, uh, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists and pediatricians. Uh, And it's an information sharing process in Mm. order to to either support them educationally or be part of the diagnostic process um and in the past i've had lots of involvement i spent a lot of time working with consultant consultant pediatricians uh, and they would often ask me for advice uh and i would often you know try and get information from them so uh and they would uh, they would ask me for direct involvement um, as a specialist ep i would be asked to work with i would work across uh, a, a local authority area and um i would be working with cases even though they were in other local even though they were in other ep schools so that was my specialist role to do complex diagnostic assessments and as part of that process i would work with um all of the people that i mentioned as yeah. would other eps as well so yeah
0: okay That's really cool. And um, in terms of resources or books or anything that you normally refer people to, I know you mentioned just now the Autistic Society and maybe them doing some courses.
1: Um, So basically, obviously, the Autism Education Trust, that's an online resource, National Autistic Society online resource. Um, I I would probably, I mean, there are lots of books, but two that I would particularly pick out, they're not books, they're kind of authors. Uh, because it's a body of work so the first one is carol gray and she um she sort of concretized made concrete a concept which is um social stories um and which is a way of helping children with poor empathy understand um uh um you know other people's points of views and then Another one, which is Comic Strip Conversations, and that helps teenagers understand situational constructs. So it's done on a cartoon basis. Um, I, I mean, I, I could go into depth, but that's another video. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then Tony Atwood works with um, individuals who uh, who would previously been, you know, aka Asperger's syndrome, um, and he's been working in the field um, for ages, and he offers loads of kind of good advice. Um, There are other people as well. There's, uh, uh, there are two, there are three adults with, with autism uh, and they're on the tip of my tongue. Uh, It's an age thing. When you know that thing, when you start forgetting, (laughs) Mm. Um, they're really well known. One of them is she's a, she's got autism and she's a really good speaker on autism and she's, she's American and she's into cattle management uh and her name has escaped me uh, and then there's two there's there's donna williams in australia and then there's uh it's this gone but um but the point being is that they're they're adults with uh autism who uh, or asperger's syndrome who who explain the condition from their point of view Mm. uh and um yeah so there it's worth as well as looking at books and doing courses it's also well worth um watching adults who've got the either of those conditions themselves so Mm. um yeah
0: okay cool And in terms of, you know, if I put my practitioner hat back on and ask, uh, are there any ethical considerations working, uh, obviously over and above the normal, you know, confidentiality aspects, are there any ethical considerations?
1: So this would be, it's kind of similar for both because it's just about being a psychologist. So you have to become an advocate for the individual. Um, You know, that's your role. You're there to advocate for them and, Sometimes, not currently, but in the past, I suppose a little bit currently, I've been asked to do some work, which is like helping to explain and advocating, in a in a greater way. I mean, my reports are basically my written thoughts about being an advocate for a young person. It, central to my kind of, you know, um, work is the advocacy role, but it's just in written form if you see what Mm. I mean. Mm. But in the past, I've had to advocate for young people. So that's, uh, you know, I've had to do it with schools and with local authorities and with individual teachers and with parents and with other settings. And um, you you need to help them make their own decisions. Um, When I say them, I mean individuals who have difficulties. It's difficult not to slip into that terminology. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You need to understand that it's the best interest of the young person rather than the best interest of an organization or a setting or you know because what might be right for one may not be right for the other and you need to sort of separate that out and sometimes it's about resource; it can be as simple or, or as complex as um resources um and also everything that you everything that you um, advocate for or any of the interventions or any anything else needs to be evidence based interventions um so it needs to be everything that you're kind of recommending or talking about needs to be have some basis in fact or research um so we often say you know oh you need to use such and such because it's got an evident evidence um intervention um there needs to be a sense that you're not discriminating against anybody, you know, any, mm-hmm. you know, sort of saying, right, well, I only work with this person or I don't think this person is able to do this or, or whatever. Um, you need to be mindful that um, you're not discriminating. Um, debarring an individual from certain um, opportunities. You have to be e- you know, equal opportunities for all really. So some things can be difficult for an, an one individual, but you need to make a, a provision so that they can access that rather than saying, oh no, they can't do that. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, that's far too... And, oh no, we couldn't possibly offer that. That's far too difficult. You say, well, actually... And, and you know, under the Disability Discrimination Act, they have access to that or, you know, uh, or the Education Act, they have access to that. So, you know, that's one of the things um, you need to be kind of professionally competent. That's another ethical consideration. Mm-hmm. So you need to kind of know what you're doing. You can't sort of go around saying stuff that's outside of your professional um, um, sphere I mean, I couldn't be recommending stuff as much as I'd like to that isn't inside my own sphere of work. Mm. Um, um, Critically, involving the family in all stages um, and making sure that they're kept informed and that their wishes are sort of supported. And also the bottom line one is legal and ethical considerations from your own professional bodies. Um, So there's kind of legal stuff, you know, I guess – and um, that's implicated in the the kind of facts in your report and ethical stuff about how you're supposed to do stuff as an EP. Um, so, yeah.
0: Okay. And
1: um, I suppose,
0: again, with the practitioner hat, uh, because all of these assessments, they require, you know, you to go on a course to understand how the assessments work. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ass- I'm assuming that if you did want to specialize in, you know, the assessments or ASD or ADHD, yeah, you yeah. have to go for all of the, that training is that right
1: yeah i mean basically um there are as a as a psychologist so the test providers um uh you have to you have different levels of test provider uh, of 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 uh, um i've forgotten what they are then it's not like a license but it's like the different levels of they set assessments at different levels so very simple assessments you know individuals can do without any training the next level up Individuals can do it without, uh, but they have to have training. And then the next—I mean, this is a broad brush—and then the next level up, you have to be a trained psychologist to use them. So I've got access to lots of um, assessments. Um, some assessments, like the ADOS and the QB Check, and uh, I'm just trying to think of other ones. But anyway, they, those those two will do for an example. You have to go on recognised training to um, be able to use them. Um, so um that's that that's you know that's uh um you know that is the sort of level and there are other things whereby you may want to so I've done um I've worked my experience enables me to kind of you know have a wider overview my involvement in diagnostic groups a wider overview um, specialist special interest groups for educational psychologists wider overview um, be involved in writing training courses I've written I've been involved in writing online training courses um, delivering courses all of that gives me a wide overview um, and it's all of that that's taken into consideration and I've done a, I did a, a specialist assessment a specialist um, course for educational psychologists at Birmingham Birmingham University some years ago, which was aimed at, you know, giving psychologists more um, sort of understanding at at a much deeper level about um, ASC. Okay, that is amazing, Um, huh? Yeah.
0: You know, I just looked at my notes quickly and, uh, you know, the one I, I'm not sure, you know, we probably covered it in some way, but yeah. in terms of a typical treatment plan, you know, with with someone with ASD or ADHD working with an educational psychologist, you know, like yeah.
1: yourself or someone else, yeah. uh, w- what would that look like? Um, I mean, we probably wouldn't, uh, that's a bit, treatment plan would be, is that's a medical model. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not picking you up, but I'm just kind of. Yeah, because sure. basically there's education and treatment. So we would call it intervention. So basically uh it's about making sure that the curriculum suits the young person. It's about um managing how we would communicate with them. So uh you know, obviously autism uh, uh there's a kind of a there's a com- component where communication is a difficulty so you, it, everybody needs to be mindful that they need to alter the way that they would communicate with a young person uh um you know there are aspects where you might have to look at um i've said altering the curriculum you might need to sort of um think of their behavior in a different way it's not it's not so much that you're managing their behavior it's more that you're making reasonable adjustments for allowing them to maybe yes they do need to get up and move around Um, they do need to move to another room because it's becoming overwhelming for them Um, they do need to have time where they might need to sort of self-stimulate they might need different responses from adults because um, for a typically developed child a particular response might be seen as challenging and purposeful But for a young person with ADHD or ASD, ASC, it may just be that that's part of the condition. So that would be the intervention side um, for that. Um, So we would change, basically, we change the environment and our expectations. And we would also change the way that we uh, communicate and deliver the curriculum. Mm. So, uh, you know, that that in a nutshell. uh, And moving slightly uh, adjacent to that, you're, you kind of talked about the treatment side that the, the one aspect that we wouldn't necessarily be involved in is the sort of medication side mm. we might be involved in reporting it noting how um, effective it has been noting the impact but that might just be tangential we wouldn't be asked to provide that service by the pediatricians because they might ask a different professional to go in but how, if we'd seen them they might ask for comment so mm. that's you know, it's about collaboration, um, but not going through different boundaries. So, uh, yeah.
0: Okay. I'm glad you mentioned the medication part. And and again, this is more a question around the UK system. But do you find that medication is as widely used? I mean, and, you know, the ADHD... As widely
1: used as...
0: Um,
1: I just went... As, as, as America, you mean,
0: or...? <laughs> I, I found in South Africa it was getting a lot more, you know, widely yeah. used as. And, you know, whenever a child presented, you know, like, medication was quite prescribed, you know, like, pres- yeah. prescribed, I mean, especially I think, in the private sector.
1: Yeah, I think, well, lots... Uh, I mean, I would, I'm would. i reluctant to say anything as a fact. Okay, okay sure. Because um, as, an e- as, as an educational psychologist, I'm kind of sort of a bit data driven mm. um um and my personal experience is that people want medication more
0: okay
1: uh, they're less reluctant to have it they're more willing to consider it mm. um um the, the difficulty the difficulty for me is that because i come i come across that population because that is the population that i work with and so my view is skewed because mm. that's what i see but anecdotally people are saying yes there there's more people seeking a private diagnosis of of ADHD in order to um you know cuz oh yes we want medication we think that's going to work but it, mm. you know that, that that's probably not going to be the first point of call and it's i think with in terms of the nice guidelines that's the national institute of clinical excellence i think that's the thing the medical um good practice I I would imagine that that's not the medication isn't the first port of of call. It should be once all other things have failed. So that should be changing everything that you can change in order to support a child. When it still doesn't work, medication. Mm. Um, So, uh, I mean, I've got a vague feeling that the trend is higher for medication. I know adults tend to go and get an online diagnosis and then get medication. That, that's what adults do, um, <laughs> mm. you know, and it's not always appropriate because actually, th- those those medications that they have for for ADHD are really really strong, and people mm. some people react quite badly to them because they're stimulants. You know, they're it's it's not you know it's not like having an aspirin and you don't have a headache. Mm-hmm. This is like taking something that has a pronounced neurological impact. It it alters you know it makes your brain. Mm. work in a slightly different way and and you know and it can have you know it has effects on dryness of mouth suppressing the appetite Mm. poor sleep or you know it's a significant um impact so you need to consider whether and adults who have had it have said oh oh i had to stop taking it after a couple of weeks because it was really horrible Mm. so um you know it, it has to be the right thing for you so Um, So part of the answer is, I don't know. And the other part of the answer is, uh, yes, it seems that there is.
0: Yeah, I think huge disclaimer on that part, which is, I mean, it's more an opinion than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like with everything. I I just find, um, and the reason I say that as well is, 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 again, you know, with the UK system, with the NHI, you know, you obviously have to go through the system. And what I was trying to ask is, you know, like it doesn't seem like, you know, like the practitioners are just going to prescribe medication. But like you said, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, that medication is like higher schedule, you know, like a schedule six, uh, because it's not to be taken lightly.
1: No, no, no. I mean, mean, people do, I mean, people will seek uh, a diagnosis for their child so that they can get medication. So there is that, there is that drive there is Mm -hmm. that drive people will go off and you know and then they have to have private um, consultations with a uh, with a with with a psychiatrist or a pediatrician and they have to you know I've heard of parents getting a diagnosis in like so they live somewhere in the southwest and they get Mm -hmm. the diagnosis in Oxford and what they don't realize is that they then have to go back and see the same pediatrician so they have to be weighed and then they have to all of this kind of stuff and then they have to Tr- uh, titrate the medication. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. um mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not as straightforward as going to Boots, the chemist. I don't know if you have Boots and stuff, yeah. like the <laughs> local chemist, and then getting um a, a, an aspirin and going, yeah, that works. That mm-hmm. works. Yeah, I'll have another. Next time I have a headache, I'll get one of those. It's not. It's nowhere near as simple as that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah um yeah yeah we do know boots and super drug uh but but are uh, we in the uk so <laughs> and oh, no, yeah, anyway, yes. yeah yeah on the yeah, southeast yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah there's no drug stuff, yeah. yeah um yeah and then i think uh, i did think of one other question and then we do have to start wrapping up but if someone didn't want to be uh When I say this not, you know, because you mentioned EHCP, you know, which is a specialist Mm -hmm. plan, but if they want Mm -hmm. to go down the private route, you know, because that's all, you know, via this, you know, the NHI and the system and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But if you want to do that, that assessment privately for your child, and then you present that report to the school, is that a possibility? Do you find that in in practice?
1: I mean so are you talking about from the health side or the education side education side
0: education side
1: yeah. yeah so basically um yeah i mean i see loads of people i've um and they they have to the schools have to accept my reports because mm. i'm I'm, an edu- I'm a very experienced educational psychologist and i'm very experienced in the areas that i tend to pick up mostly um they would be foolish not to take heed of my findings and my thoughts. So, you know, if necessary, I will say this child, I would recommend a parent makes a a parental application or talk to the school about uh, making an application for uh, an EHC needs assessment. Okay. Uh, Oftentimes, my reports will be incorporated, which is unusual, but that's because in the local area, I'm known, um, and they can trust and I've worked for some of them. And they just say, they contact me and say, Oh, can we use your findings? Uh, And I, I sometimes I get copies of reports. And it's I think I wrote that. It's like <laughs> almost verbatim, you know. So, mm. which is fine because that means they value my content. Mm. Mm. That's one way of looking at it. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, no. Uh, does that answer your question? Sergio? yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. That's so exactly. basically, they would ask me to be involved because they're finding access to uh, a local authority EP difficult. Um, I have worked as a local authority EP for many years in senior roles. Um, I understand the process. And so I. the major difference between me and the local authority EP, they may only have half a morning to see a child, whereas I have like almost a whole day. Mm. And that's what I like about being an independent EP. I spend the whole day with a child. I get as much information as possible Uh, more than anyone could ever get as a a, a, you know working in in a sort of in another system and then i'm offered uh, then i'm offering like my uh very wide ranging findings and as a consequence lots of um, interventions and suggestions and ways forward so Mm. yes
0: Okay, brilliant. And uh, it sounds like a, a weird question, though. But with the with the assessments, they have to be with you in person. I'm assuming they're not online, right? With the child um,
1: during COVID or COVID or COVID, whatever it's, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard loads of people say it different recently. Okay, during the um, the uh, the restrictions of the recent virus. Um, I was doing stuff online. Yeah. The, okay. the, the test providers were allowing us to use a different subtest as a substitute for calculating our um, results. Um, I think that's been sort of removed now because actually it's better to see people in person. I've okay. done a fair few assessments, but look, the ones that I do, I mean, I like to see people face to face anymore. I and mean, I can, I mean, I could do it online. I have done it. Mm-hmm online for a variety of reasons when i've started an assessment and then some part of it i've had to do remotely for whatever reason or you know so yeah okay but uh it's the face-to-face interaction that, that works best
0: yeah i think with everything i mean i don't yeah, think yeah. you can ever um uh, you know substitute that um yeah, yeah. One of the funniest things I've heard, you know, around the online part is is people said, you know, when you get online and there's a pause, you know, which normally happens, like in a physical setting, sometimes yeah. there's always a pause. Yeah, and yeah. in the online setting, people are busy trying to check if their Wi-Fi is still fine. And, you know, yeah, like yeah, what yeah. happened with my mic, you know, it's like, yeah, 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 but, yeah. but there's this awkwardness about, you know, not having people speak all the time, which is interesting. Yeah. Um um on that note i love this conversation i loved well, i've you enjoyed know, like, having it yeah I, I
1: haven't spoken too much no uh, it was I brilliant to, i find it really difficult when i'm talking to a parent and they they just phone up for a quick chat and i'm like half an hour later yeah they're thinking this was supposed to be five minutes and i'm going well <laughs> you know you've yeah. spoken to me and i've got lots of information to tell you so mm. you know.
0: Well, that's the reason we will be doing this is, you know, this could become the resource because what you just said now is what we find with most, you know, healthcare practitioners is that when someone phones in and said, you know, like, you know, I've got this child and he's, you know, he's struggling with this, 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 and then they go on and they spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes, you know, talking about it. And I was like, can we create a resource so that you just, you know, send them the recording and then, you know, hopefully explain some of the questions, you know, like the questions, and then you can still go on to your normal consultation. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, love this. I love everything that you said. Uh, loved your experience on it. Um, yeah, yeah. is there anything that you thought I should have asked you that i that I didn't around the topic?
1: uh oh, well, around the topic. I thought you were gonna talk about microphones there. Um, <laughs> no, no, uh, no, I think that that's everything. I mean, yeah, um that that's look, I mean, I think you've extracted the all of the goodness out of this conversation. That we could have had you know you've you've asked some really good questions you've given me a platform to say stuff um so you know as well as you thanking me i'd like to thank you for kind of allowing me to sort of ramble on about what i like to talk about
0: no uh, i mean the pleasure is always <laughs> ours and yeah. i think we just have the platform you know to just cast the spotlight so thanks again really really appreciate it
1: okay very good thank you nice to meet you
0: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.